beautiful. All right. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm sorry for the slight sort of, um, I guess we've been away for a little bit of a while. I've not done any recordings, um, but we're back with a, a pretty big bang uh, today with a, a great recording with uh, Lee Kemp, who is the president, if you didn't know, of the UKDFBA, which is the... Um, arguably, um, in my opinion, one of the best, if not <coughs> the best, uh, natural bodybuilding federation uh, in the UK. And I have wanted to do this sort of podcast for for a long, long time. Me and Lee have always talked about recording and, and sitting down and having having a chat, basically, because uh, we oh, I've, I've been lucky enough over the last few years to become uh, friends with Lee and Amy as well, of course. And uh, lucky enough to sort of travel to the States with them three times now and, uh, you know, have some really, really good discussions and get to know them a lot better. And I've thought always that it would be great to part some of these discussions, not all of them, (laughs) uh, but some of them uh, into sort of a bit of a podcast episode so that people in the sport can get to know Lee and the Federation a little bit about his background and journey a little bit more because there's been there's been a there's been a lot that's happened and there's been a lot that you've learned and the experience that you've gathered um over the years so yeah first of all Lee thanks very much for spending a little bit of time you're a very busy guy um so I really appreciate you coming on no thank you for having me it's uh it's all new territory for me I've not done a podcast before it's all pretty new age I'm a bit of an old dinosaur when it comes to technology uh, but it's it's great to be invited on, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Good, 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 good. So I wanted to take the listeners back um, as far as we can go to an extent, Lee, and give them a little bit of a a bit of story time as to how you got into bodybuilding as this weird sport that is. Um, what what got the bodybuilding tell us a little bit more about your personal journey into the sport itself all oh, right so it's a very long one i mean it started probably when i was about 11 or 12 years old um i was a, a massive fan of wwf wrestling as it was on the tv back then um i've been a, a huge wrestling fan my whole life uh, actually ended up becoming a professional wrestler for a few years uh, which is another side tangent we could talk for hours about. Uh, and, and all of the good guys, all of the heroes had big muscles, didn't they? You know, all, all of the best ones had, uh, had the best physiques. And I, I kind of developed a bit of an interest in weight training from there. Um, also a lifelong martial artist. I've been practicing martial arts in one form or another since I was 11 years old. Um, and I got into, you know, the Van Damme movies and Bruce Lee and again, you know, big, strong physiques sort of carried across that that whole ethos of uh, that, that whole image of being the, the, the tough guy or the hero or whatever. And like a lot of young guys, you know, a lot of young guys get into weights through comic books or, you know, through schwarzenegger movies on the tv there's always something that you see and it's always been highlighted as you know some some positive character some big hero who has the big muscles so when i was about i think i got my first dumbbell set when i was about 11 i used to play around with those now and again and then by the time i was 13 i had a full sort of you know weights bench barbell dumbbells up in my bedroom used to train 
back then it was crazy. You know, you had endless energy back then, didn't you? I played rugby when I was at school at a reasonable level for my age. So I was rugby training two or three times a week, playing rugby, karate twice a week in the evenings. And then the other three or four evenings a week, I'd be lifting weights in my bedroom um, until the day I, I kind of added more and more weight plates to the weight set until one day I went through a floorboard in my bedroom uh my old man went absolutely bananas and uh and banned me from training in the house and he he owned a shop at the time uh he, he was in sort of retail self-employed and there was a, a little gym just down the road from where he worked uh, where his shop was so he, he used to drag me out of bed on a saturday morning and sort of drive me down to his workplace with him and drop me off at the gym and i'd train in the mornings and and then spend the rest of the day working in his shop. And and the first time I walked into a gym, and I, I could talk for hours about the first place I've went to. It was a dump. It was real spit and sawdust. You know, the squat rack was made out of scaffolding pipes, and the chinning bar was literally attached to the ceiling. You know, the ceiling was 15 feet off the floor, so you had to climb a ladder to get to the chinning bar. It was a real, real hole of a gym. But the, the spirit in there and the work ethic and – and the camaraderie in there. We're talking back in the you know the sort of early nineties now, uh, which most people who know the era know as the real golden time of bodybuilding. Uh, the, the the work ethic and, and stuff in that place was incredible. And I remember one day I was walking yes, what eight hundred yards from the, the the little local gym up to my dad's shop, and I called into a news agents and you know typical uneducated kid you know I used to get a bottle of lucas aid or a pint of milk and a mars bar after i've been to the gym and and i popped in and i looked on the magazine rack and thought you know i wonder if there's something here i can read that tells me a little bit more about what i'm getting into i knew nothing about you know there was no internet there was there was no nothing back then so i picked up a copy of a flex magazine uh paid for it opened it up and it was like love at first sight and you know that was what nearly 30 years ago 29 years ago this year um and I, I haven't always been consistent with my training and and you know anybody that knows me will know that i do have a penchant for yo-yoing in and out of shape over the years but um but i think from the first day i opened that magazine i pretty much fell in love with bodybuilding there and then and i still love it today um i, I trained for a few years started competing when i was 16 uh first time i ever stepped on a bodybuilding stage i was pumping up next to damian lees in the locker room um who's now a wmbf pro and uh world silver medalist in the pros and world amateur champion and that was 1993 uh that was the, my first contest i competed with damian um another absolute legend on the junior circuit at that point stuart cameron that was one of his first shows as well sadly he passed away in the late 90s far too young uh, but he was a lovely bloke uh, i competed against him in my first ever contest um i kind of competed between 93 and 98 16 times i competed uh ended up winning the teenage uk championships twice uh went on to compete in the juniors and i was uh, lost in the land of the giants then you know there's some big guys I remember being outweighed by you know five or six stone on stage on stage in some of my junior shows, um, and I kind of started to realise, if I'm honest, that physically I'm 
I wasn't. I didn't have huge potential to to be a great bodybuilder as much as I might have wanted to be one. Um, but I, I seemed to have a bit of an aptitude for some of the other sides of the sport. I, I started judging a few little local shows by then, even though I was like you know 20, 21 years old. Promoted my first show when I was eighteen. Uh, back in 1996 so 25 years this year be the 25th my 25th year of being a bodybuilding promoter and um i seemed to take to it really well and i didn't have to diet so that that side of the sport kind of took over but i still love training um i know a couple of people that you probably know have, have had a workout with me at some point and they're all quite surprised at how fierce i can get in the gym and and stuff and uh you know it's the consistency of putting more than one of those workouts together in a row that's always been the problem especially now with my job and family commitments and stuff and you know everything that goes on with the association but yeah i just i just kind of found my niche in behind the scenes in the sport and you know rather than on stage but like i say it's it's a, a passionate love affair that burns very strongly to this day even though it's been going on for nearly 30 years yeah awesome i think uh, it's really really cool for a lot of people to know that you know without without sounding rudely like i think some people didn't know that you were a competitor and how good you were like when i first got to know you i i didn't know that that was your past and that's really really cool for people to hear and i think again your experience level is is insane like i don't think people realize how far you go back in the sport and what you know about different federations different athletes that have come up throughout the years and you know you're you know like a bodybuilding handbook in a way you are mate um and i think one thing i'm interested to know from from you obviously you got involved pretty early in the promotion side of things and and sort of getting some shows together what what back then were you already starting to notice with federations? Like, did you did you start to think with with what was available at the time that that things could be done better? Um, did you think that there were some gaps to, to improve bodybuilding shows at that stage? Um, it, it's a funny one, and sort of touching what you said there about you know people not realising what my background is. I mean, I'll be I'll be the first person to admit, and I'll try and keep this to my only swear word of the whole podcast. But I don't really do myself any favours by being a fat bastard, do I? Um, you know, I, I I have kind of taken my eye off the ball in in terms of keeping myself in shape over the years, mostly because of my martial arts career. Most of my competitive stuff through adulthood has been martial arts. Sure. Full contact kickboxing, MMA, box, the pro wrestler, and and I'm always racking up horrendous amounts of injuries that are stopping me from training. You know, I've just pretty much come back from a year and a half off training because of a trapped nerve in my neck, and so yeah, I do. It is kind of deceptive. I don't always portray the physical image that you would accept somebody expect somebody who's got um, any sort of pedigree in the sport to, to exhibit. But I'm working hard on that. Uh, I'm working hard on that. And one day I will see my feet again. <laughs> but but, but um, in, back then, it was it was a different culture back then. I, you know, I talked about the camaraderie and, and, and the work ethic in the gyms. And if, you, if I went back to that little leisure centre weights room on a Saturday morning, you know, um, Oliver Perry trained there. 
Oliver Perry when he was 18 years old. Wow. You know, he, he was a beast back then. He was benching three plates aside and he had a back as wide as a doorway. And, you know, and there was a the, the gym daddy in there, a guy called Mick Maynard, mm. who was like, you know, a weight training instructor who, who worked for the local council. And if he saw you messing about in the gym, even though that was his morning off and he was he was training, you know, he'd turf you out of there. He did, they didn't want people in there that weren't training, but they wanted you in there working hard because, you know, they wanted everybody to be as good as they can be. And that translated over into the competitive side of bodybuilding. I mean, you know, a guy from our, our little weight training club, as it was back then, Ronnie, Ronnie Williams, he was on the Gladiators, the TV show, twice. And, and both times, hundreds of us went to cheer him on. You know, he went to compete in the local bodybuilding contest and we all went to watch because he was one of ours. He was one of our family. Um, and and that was the the era that we were in then. And I know people talk about it. You know, they talk about the good old days and how things were better back then and all the rest. But, but back then there wasn't the, the kind of very critical edge that bodybuilding as a sport has got now. You know, things can be done better. This federation's not doing this. This federation's not doing that. And, you know, there were no federations back then. If you entered, I mean, I'm from Coventry in the Midlands. If you entered the Mr. Coventry, the only place you went on to from Mr. Coventry was the pub. You'd go down the pub afterwards and have a few beers, and then you'd enter it again next year if you wanted to. Um, the first couple of contests I did, there were a little independent circuit called the Latham's Gym Shows. Um, and they were run by, by that time, by 93, the family of Ken Latham. Uh, who'd passed away the year before. And it's a, a massive regret of mine that I never got a chance to meet him. But um, Ken Latham was at one point the president or the vice president of the, the EFBB, that's now the UK BFF, the British IFBB affiliate. And and those shows that I started competing in, there, there were a chain of qualifying shows and there was a final at the end of it. But everybody knew with the greatest respect, there were brilliant shows but everybody knew that they were kind of the second tier of bodybuilding shows and you'd go there and have fun. We enjoyed competing. I mean, I, I barely dieted for my first show. I didn't need to, I was 16 years old and I was doing some sort of physical activity 10 times a week. So I didn't really need to diet that much, but you know, there were guys who would use those shows as a stepping stone to go on to the bigger contests. And there was a lot of stuff happening at that time, you know, the, the EFBB was a thing, NABBA was a thing, but I never really knew about them because I wasn't involved in those circles. To me, getting involved in bodybuilding was just about doing it for the fun of it, you know, and it's it's all very, it's all a big utopian pipe dream when you're 16 years old. You don't understand these guys that have got a full-time job, they've got a mortgage to pay, they've got kids to take care of, you know, wives giving them a list of chores every weekend you, you know these archetypal things that grown-ups have to do i didn't see bodybuilding through those eyes it was just this 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 thing that i did and i saw that the the, the complete innocent side of it and the, the reason i started promoting bodybuilding was um, I, I competed in a show in those early days uh, i was lucky enough to win it it was the first time i'd won a contest and my my old training partner, uh, a guy called Drew Ballantyne, who I still train with now and again. Now he's you know he's been one of my closest friends my whole life. Um, 
he came backstage to you know help me you know put my trophy in my bag and rub the oil off my back and you know just help me sort of move on with my life basically after i won the show and he asked me you know how i felt about winning and and I, and I kind of said to him at the time um yeah it's great i've won the contest but it's not like i've you know won an olympic gold medal it's only a little bodybuilding contest it's nothing to get too excited about um and the promoter overheard me saying it and he, he gave me a full-on you know dad bollocking uh and said well if you think you can do better then i challenge you to try so I did. I uh, promoted my first bodybuilding contest because I've always been a kind of, you know, if you can't beat them, join them or, you know, put your money where your mouth is, whatever cliche you want to use. I wouldn't I wouldn't now at any point in any position I am in any as- aspect of my life criticise something that I'm not willing to do myself yeah. or criticise something that, you know, I, I couldn't do better myself. So that was why I promoted my first contest. Um and to us then it was it was just a little local show you know a little local independent contest and it drew some brilliant athletes over the years um who were sort of stopping by to do it on their way to do something bigger or as a warm-up show for something but the whole sort of fed thing that's the the, the trend now that that didn't really exist then there was there, there were tears you know there were tears you did a little independent shows and then when you were doing pretty good at those, then you'd move on to, you know, NABBA, EFBB and go from there. There was no natural bodybuilding, really. There was the AMB, which was the only natural association back then. Um, but they, were, they had some stupid rules. And the reason I never competed with the AMB when I was a kid was because they had dumbass rules at the time that, you know, if you'd ever taken any banned substance whatsoever then you couldn't compete with them ever for life. And, and I remember taking fistfuls of ephedrine and caffeine and aspirin and stuff to, you know, help me fire me up for training sessions and things like that. And I read that ephedrine was on the ban list and it wasn't even ephedrine. It was ephedra. Um, Um, I forget the name of the supplement that I bought it in. It was something that I bought online. Um, not online mail order from a magazine back then and i'd taken some of these ephedra capsules with some aspirin and some you know some um pro plus i thought i said i'm I'm ruled out for life you know that's that's ridiculous isn't it you know that that is absolutely ludicrous um and sort of throwing it way forwards in time because there's a whole patch in the middle um that's why I eventually left. I mean, it, it may or may not be common knowledge to most people that I was heavily involved in the MPA when it was first formed. Yeah. Um, there's there's this fallacy that it, it the AMB became the MPA. It's not true. That's never been true. The MPA was formed separately and it put the AMB out of business, and that's the truth. Um, and a few years down the line, I thought, I don't really believe in this ethos that if you've done something, if you've taken a performance enhancing substance once in your life, then you should be excluded from competing forever. Mm. Uh, never agreed with it. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel kind of one of the few things I've done in my life that I feel is a little bit hypocritical uh, because I pushed that ethos for quite a long time through working in the association. Um and, you know, to, to top it all off, I mean, a lot of listeners might know I'm a, I'm a serving police officer. Um, I've 
encountered some pretty bad people over the years um, who were allowed to go and serve their time and come back out into society and be forgiven. Yet there are, you know, I was working in this thing where, you know, if you'd taken a handful of ephedra capsules at some point in your life, you weren't allowed to compete again. I mean, the rules have been modified a little bit and made made a bit more sophisticated and up-to-date by then. Um, and that brought us to me eventually going with the WMBF and going with their, their more moderate stance against drug-free bodybuilding. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, like, like I say at the time, back in the late 90s, the sport was very different. There, there were still people that didn't like each other. There were still people who were at odds with each other because they were affiliated with that group and they were affiliated with that group. But um, overall, the whole sort of Fed politics thing didn't exist like it does now at all. Mm. Whilst we're on that topic, Lee, of, of the camaraderie and the level of competition and how it was working back then, do you think that that's something that now as a result of we've got this huge influx of, of positivity in the sense that natural bodybuilding is, is growing and the, the level of competition every year we see at our finals and at the other natural finals is, is we can agree it's, it's leveling up. It's getting better and better. It, it the athletes gets... are, and the athletes are, are now, you know, bringing crazy looks to even just qualifiers like qualifiers are very competitive everything's competitive do you think that the fact that we've now got this pathways that people are going down federations one that one athlete might not compete with one and one might compete with the other do you think that that's almost not allowing natural bodybuilding to blossom as much as it would is if it was back in the day and we had this more open territory for, for, for people to compete or do you think that it's good in a way that we have different options what do you think the pros and cons of that are um i don't ever think there should be a monopoly i don't think there should be one place to, for people to compete i think choice is good um but like i say back in those late 90s and again you know i'll give you an example of the path that it pushed me down personally I couldn't compete in the AMB because whoever owned the AMB at the time decided that Ephedra was the devil. And if you'd taken it once, you couldn't compete ever again. You were, you know, you were smited and you were a ruined athlete and you weren't natural anymore. Um, so I had to compete in non-tested shows. Yet to be competitive in those non-tested shows, I faced a choice. Do I use what these guys are using or do I stay completely natural and get my ass handed to me every time I compete? And I made the choice to do what everybody else was doing. When in Rome, you do as the Romans do. Um, so I, I used banned substances for a year and a half, two years, in very, very small amounts. Um, and I was never comfortable with doing it. And the, the pivotal moment for me, I alluded earlier to saying, you know, I didn't ever think I'd be a great bodybuilder. The, the, the real big factor behind that was that I wasn't willing to take the amount of drugs that other people were taking. Yeah. I wasn't willing to spend that money and I wasn't willing to put that amount of stuff in my body. And I knew that I wouldn't be any good if I didn't. Um, so if we had a monopoly in natural bodybuilding or drug-free bodybuilding, as I prefer to call it, because let's be honest, it's, there's nothing natural about bodybuilding. Um, 
I, I think that you'd find more people in that situation. Um, you'd find people in a situation where they were either forced down a road, and not everybody would be. You know, just because you compete in a show that's not a tested show doesn't mean that you're using stuff. Um, and that's and that's another thing that kind of irritates me a little bit in you know the social media side of the sport. You know, people question people's natty status. Another irritating phrase that I hate because they don't compete in tested shows um you you don't have to um you know you stay clean of drugs for yourself not for anybody else you compete where you want to compete um but if you do want to compete in tested shows I, i think it's important to have options it is important to have options um there there are some people that might not compete in our shows for whatever reason um Maybe they don't like our logo. Maybe they don't like me. You know, maybe they don't like the for competing in our shows. Well, if I was the only option for them out there, they couldn't compete, could they? So yeah. it's good. It's it's good that there are other places for, for people to compete. Um, yes, there are very good athletes at the top of the sport in each respective association. Um, true, they don't compete against each other necessarily um there are ways and means in which they can if they want to i i remember oh we're going back 15 years now probably about 2005 i wasn't no no, 03 about 03 it was before i was involved in, in in any tested association i i threw an open challenge out there to to the heads of various associations and people whose email addresses i had I said, I haven't promoted a contest for a year or two because I was starting my police career then. I'd had a year or two off promoting bodybuilding shows. Um, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm willing to sort of put my head on the line and throw up this, you know, sort of Grand Prix event where the best of the best come together. I'll, I'll assemble judges independently, you know, that are nothing to do with either of the, the associations that were around at the time. And... Um, you know, send us send us your best, and let's see see how it goes. Not a single person accepted the offer. I had very good backing from a, from a supplement company and from uh, quite a popular website at the time, and we you know who sort of you know encouraged me to front the proposition. Nobody was interested then, and nobody would be interested now because a lot of egos would get bruised because there are a lot of people out there walking around thinking that they're the best who will be very upset when they find out they're not. And that's an equal thing. I'm not saying that one side's got the better athletes than the other. I say one side and the other. There are 10 different sides. There are so many different sanctioning bodies. Um, If all the best athletes came together, only one of them could win. Um, And then everybody else would have to swallow the very bitter pill that they're not the best in the world. And uh, I, I don't think it'll ever happen because bodybuilding the biggest problem with bodybuilding this this is a very controversial sort of statement i'm I'm going to make so please don't you know let let me put some context on it afterwards but the biggest problem with bodybuilding has always been bodybuilders those those fragile egos um you, you have one of the most commonly spoken things that people say is, you know, we don't get enough respect. You know, we put a lot of hard work in and we don't get treated like proper athletes. But 
you know, a lot of people don't behave like proper athletes. You know, if I, if I, I've got a very comprehensive set of rules on my website that tell you how to stand when you're on stage, yet still I've got, you know, bikini competitors coming on stage and standing like a teapot because that's how they want to stand with their hand up in the air. So it looks like they've got a delt, you know, I had very specific rules about, you know, playing single colored posing trunks and then guys are coming on stage looking like Christmas tinsel. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, I had to start listening to every single piece of posing music that got sent in to me because it was full of bad language and I was having to send it back to people. Even now for an average contest, I probably send 25% of the music and get back to people and say, it's full of foul language, read the rules. Yeah. You know, so if you want to be considered an athlete, behave like an athlete. And, and, and in the truest sense of sport, you know, people have got to be willing to be tested against each other. You know, let, you know, like, like in other sports, there's an Olympic Games, there's a World Cup of football, there's a World Cup of rugby. We'll never have that in bodybuilding because nobody wants to knock heads with each other. Shame. It is a shame. I agree. Um, I think that's why I raised the topic is that it would be amazing to have that opportunity to put what we deem as the best of the best together mm. on the same stage, all in the same lighting with a judging panel that can be analytical. Um, and that would be incredible. But it, I, unfortunately, even though I have less experience, I do agree with you. I don't think that it's going to happen. Um but I'll throw a question back to you now. Okay. Um, if that were to happen, what would we gain from it? Because there's no Olympic gold medal in bodybuilding yet. Mm. You know, there may be in at some point in the future, but there's no Olympic gold medal in bodybuilding. There's no World Cup winner in bodybuilding. There's no, you know, there's no Wimbledon champion in bodybuilding. There's no definitive title. That, that means you're the best bodybuilder in the world. All, all we gain by that is bragging rights. The person that won would gain bragging rights because there's very little else in bodybuilding than those bragging rights. And, and that's why I try not to get too far from the mentality that I started with 25 years ago. Yeah, we're all working hard. Um, people are training, people are dieting, sometimes too hard. Uh, and you know my thoughts on that. But... Let, let it be fun let it be fun it's never going to pay the bills you know the, what's the biggest cash prize in in men's pro bodybuilding um and i don't mean to sort of be sexist against female athletes whether they're bodybuilders figure bikini men's physique competitors typically men's pro bodybuilding cash prizes are bigger than all the pro prizes in the other divisions you know rich gosdecki is a, a close personal friend of mine He's won that overall overall world title. Went home with six thousand dollars. I mean, that, that's not a living. It's a nice little bonus. No. It was some spending money for the rest of his time in New York, you know. But it was six thousand dollars. You know, you win the Natural Olympia. I think you get something like eight thousand dollars. But that's a one division show, you know, with thirty people in the class. Eight thousand dollars is is a pittance. It's nothing. It's not, it's not a true professional sport um, and try as hard as we might, it's, it'd be very difficult to ever make it one. What we can make it 
is a fun and worthwhile test of people's abilities in their given field. We can give them a good experience. We could give them, you know, a fair level playing field. Um, but, I, you know, if, if anybody knows how to generate half a million dollars worth of prize money for natural bodybuilders or drug-free bodybuilders, then come and sit down with me and talk to me about it because I'll put the graft in and we'll do it. You know, it's that simple. I think to answer to answer your sort of your question to me as to what what we would gain. I think just thinking about your answer there and the fact that we've got very sort of belittled prize money and that the sport isn't truly a professional sport. Isn't that because we are sort of dwindling it down and partitioning it a little bit too much? And if we were to raise it up all into into one, so let's say we had the Olympia of, of natural bodybuilding and that is the number one show the funding, the sponsorships and the sort of superiority of, of natural bodybuilding raises up a notch. I mean, do you think that that would be a benefit of, of having the one show that everything would be driven to one thing that would be a little bit better? Um, again, it's a point, but it's not, a, it's, it's not a, a sort of a level point in terms that the Olympia is not the only pro bodybuilding show in the world in the in the non-tested realms of bodybuilding you could be the pro world champion with wabba you could be the pro world champion with naba you could win the naba pro universe um you've got you know you got even the you know the the everybody can run a world championship and call it a pro world championship now can't they anybody can say that a show is a world championship um you know i've seen world championships held in qualifier venues where 95% of the competitors are from the host country, yet it's still been called a world championship, um, which is why I've never sort of had the urge to try and sell our big contests as more than, more than I believe they are. We have an international championship. You know, we have competitors. I've had competitors from nine, ten different countries in that show, which is more than most people's world championships have got in them. Um, but, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the Olympia is not the only bodybuilding show where you can go and win prize money. Uh, there have been many, many, many that have come and gone, and there will be many more before my time's over with and even more before yours. Um, so I, I don't think it's a direct comparison. Everybody's got their own idea of what the biggest show in the world is. You know, your goal might want to be, might be, you know, I want to win NABBA Universe. And when you've won that pro universe, you are Mr. Universe. But you know deep down in your heart of hearts that Mr. Olympia is better than you. Yeah. There's just that pecking order in the non-tested sport that we don't have in in, in the tested shows. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've had uh, the pleasure to be an uh, and when I say IFBB, I mean IFBB. I don't mean NPC. I don't mean two bros iron rebel muscle contest and all the all the copycat stuff that's come out i mean the real ifbb that's been around forever uh, i had the pleasure to be at one of their international shows the last couple of years just because i happened to be there cheering a friend on uh, and the standard at those shows internationally is insane it's off the hook uh, and i saw a pro division a pro masters division at the masters worlds last year those guys were unbelievable you know and there, there's 
so you've got IFBB Elite Pro, the, the, you know, that the, the IFBB have put in place. So there's another pro division. Standard's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, it, it just so happens that in, in our side of the sport, you know, you've got, you know, a world championship that's, you know, let's do let's keep it to men's pro bodybuilding yeah you've got a world championship where you and i both sat in the audience last year and saw a three division show with you know a total of 45 athletes in from probably 15 or 16 different countries competing for you know what prize money there was available some incredible athletes in that show that's called a world championship but then the same weekend you had another show six hours away on a plane called the olympia you know, with another 30 different guys in from however many different countries. And then you've got other people that have got like the equivalent of a world championship that isn't called a world championship. And you've got, you know, another, you know, you've got other contests that that call themselves world championships, but they're not, they don't have the grandeur or the pedigree to really be truly considered a world championship. And does it, does it come down to, you know, the fact that everybody wants to be a world championships promoter. I mean, I, I certainly don't because I know that if I did and did it properly, I'd have my head on the block for about a hundred grand. Um, it's a big ask. And that's, and that hundred grand is with modest prize money as well. Um, I, I just, I've never understood what the big difference is between the two sides of the sport, the only thing I could put it down to is that what we consider to be the Olympia, the, the Mr. Olympia contest, was almost the, uh, the the brainchild of a publishing company, wasn't it? You know, the Weeder Corporation, the Flex Magazine, the Muscle and Fitness, the, you know, the Muscle Builder protein powder that you could buy in Argos and, you know, the the... the the plastic and concrete filled, you know, everything, you know, the weights, every, every bit of that empire fed up to the Olympia. It was a worldwide business that wasn't about bodybuilding contests. You know, it was about magazines. It was about instruction manuals. It was about supplements. It was about, you know, weights and benches that you can go through your dad's floorboards with when you're 15 years old. Um, maybe that was what put the money behind that massive media machine that made the Olympia. But one thing we've all got to remember is, uh, you know, if, say, the best 10 bodybuilders in the world, so let's say arbitrarily the top 10 people from the Olympia last year, if they all tore up their version of a pro card tomorrow and came and competed in the NABBA universe this year, the NABBA universe would be the best pro show in the world because it's the athletes that make it the best, not the show itself. Yeah, it's very interesting for sure. I think, um, I think everything you say when you, when you start to say it, even if I, even if I have my own opinions, your, your opinions make total sense, mate, as always. Um, as I'm sure yours do as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, we there there are way, loads of different things looking at stuff, but you know, I, I, I'm a contest promoter, and 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 I know, you know, there's this big thing, there's this big sort of tagline buzz phrase that goes around: without the athletes, there's no show, and that's very true. But you won't have a show if there's no show promoter either. 
somebody's got to put their head on the block, like I keep saying, and say, I will run this show. First time we ran a big UK championship, which was back in 2016, the first year that we ran qualifying contests that led to an invitation-only final. Um, you know, that, that contest alone was... I had to sit down with Amy for for those people watching the podcast who don't know Amy's my wife and the app. I had to sit down with Amy and say, so this is how much this is going to cost to do it as well as it can, you know, as well as I can justifiably do it. Um, if this falls flat on its face, we've got to remortgage the house to pay that. You know, are you comfortable with that? You know, and she said back to me, well, yeah, um, I know how much you want to do it, so let's do it. But if I end up remortgaging my house, you are fucking dead. <laughs> you know, but, but that was, but that's the level of support you sometimes need behind you. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about five-figure sums of money here to put big shows on. Um, so, yeah, the athletes are very, very important to a bodybuilding show, but there has to be a show for them to compete in. Um, and like I say, the... The, the one that's most attractive to the athletes will draw the best athletes. Why does the Olympia draw the best athletes? Because there's $400,000 in prize money if you win it. Yeah. If the prize money at the Naba Universe was $500,000, would they all jump ship? Probably. Probably. Of course they would. They're professional bodybuilders. They're competing for money. This is their living. So, you know, maybe the answer is money. Maybe if one of the world championships actually put up some real money that was too good to turn down, um, then maybe that maybe that would be the thing that drew all the big athletes in and made people say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of, you know, jump not jump ship, but I'm sort of gonna cross over and compete in this show um, and see how I fare because there's a lot of money at stake here. Maybe that would be the thing to do it. But it would take a very, very brave contest promoter. I mean, I, I worked it out. You know, I, I worked out that, uh, you know, run. We're, we're affiliated with the WMBF. To run the WMBF Worlds to a good standard in a good venue in in a decent city in this country, and give away the prize money to match the prize money that was given last year. Bearing in mind they're not massive sums when broken down individually, but we're talking, you know, probably fifty grand altogether when you add up all the divisions you know i'm i'm like i said before to do it to the standard i want to do it to i'm looking at taking a hundred grand bath if that doesn't work out for me and that's that's a lot of money to throw down the drain for somebody to say your show wasn't very good because so and so didn't enter it it's a massive risk so think if you're going to double that prize money and put up a hundred grand you know, or, you know, put up 150 grand. And we're still talking when you're breaking it down amongst all the divisions, it's still not going to be massive amounts of money for every class winner. Um, you know, you might, you might work out to, you know, 15,000 for a first prize in each division pounds or dollars. Or well, yeah, we'll talk pounds. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are people that do do it and I give them full credit because hard work is an admirable pursuit but I'd be very disappointed if I had to work all year long for fifteen grand. It's still not a professional, oh. still not a professional sport, is it? And sure. some some guys, some guys, got to take a gamble on a quarter of a million. 
a quarter of a million pounds to give people 15 grand prize money. Um, I was listening to, do you ever listen to RX Muscle to the Dave Palumbo stuff? Uh, I, I do, mate. He was one of probably the first present, presentations I was like, I was watching, I was following. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love his stuff. I love his stuff. And I do, you know, I, 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 um, I listen to all of his shows, you know, the serious ones as well as the funny ones. And um, I was listening to some old school stuff the other night. I went on. I went on to listen to the tribute show for Bob Grushkin, the uh, the American coach and photographer who passed away very recently. Uh, I went to listen to it because a friend of mine was mentioned in. She, you know, Dwayne Broadway. Dwayne, who was the head judge at some of the world's classes last year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dwayne's okay. a good. Dwayne's a good pal of mine, and uh, he's an absolute legend in bodybuilding. He actually got a, 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 a mention on RX Muscle the other night. So I went on just to have a look for that, and I found uh, an interview with Wayne D'Amelia that's recently appeared on, on YouTube. About two and a half hours long. It was brilliant. Now, I've spoken to Wayne on the phone, which is another story entirely. Uh, and I, I spent two hours talking to Wayne without even realising that two hours had gone by. The guy is absolutely captivating. I mean, you know who Wayne is, obviously. The guy that promoted the Olympia for, you know, 15-odd years, if not more, probably closer to 20. And and he was he was quite frank about it. You know, the, the last Olympia that he promoted, they cost about $4 million to to produce. produce it you know 10% of that is was the prize money not the first prize now first prize is 400 grand back in 03 the last Olympia he promoted was um, 400 grand total prize money and that was 10% of his budget for the show which was 4 million you know so uh, until somebody comes along basically who's got 4 million pounds to bankroll the thing with Drug-free bodybuilders are not making a living out of this sport. Yeah. That's, no, that's actually, a very long that, way getting to my point. Yeah, I was actually chatting about why that's the the case. Um, when I was on the UK Pro Muscle Podcast with um, Cuba and Jamie Giant and a couple of IFB, IFBB pros in the UK, and um, we seem to sort of come to the same conclusion that it's. As much as natural bodybuilding is a spectacle, it's not the spectacle that people want to see, unfortunately. It's not the freak show. Um, there are some freaks, 100%, but people want to see the unachievable size that you can get assisted. And I think if more people actually were aware of some of the, the quality in natural bodybuilding, like I mentioned Ben, I mentioned Ben Howard, and I mm -hmm. said... And I said, you put an audience around Ben, and I promise you it's a freak show. Um, so there's, I think there's, as natural bodybuilding grows, the chance is that there will be more prize money as time goes on. I think we'll, we'll get there. I think the sponsorships are flooding into the right places and things like that. But I think it's just going to take a little bit more time for it, for it to grow. Uh, it will never grow, I don't think, as much as the assisted realm, though. I think you're right with that. Quite possibly. I mean, but like I say, you know, it's it, we say that people want to see the freak show. Well, I don't. I, I wouldn't yeah. go to the Olympia. I'm, I'm not interested in it, personally.
to the 91 Olympia and see Haney and Yates on stage battling with each other, yeah, yeah. I'd probably cut one of my feet off to have the opportunity to do that. You asked me if I an all-expenses-paid trip to this year's Mr. Olympia, I'll stay home and play Fortnite on the PlayStation because it doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. And there are people out there who find the drug-free side of bodybuilding far more appealing. Okay. But I, I, genuinely, I genuinely do think that the, that side. the the glitz and glamour of it all, the whole I want to be what they now call an IFBB pro, which I'm adamant is should be called MPC pro because that's what it is. Um, yeah, I want to be you know in that IFBB pro division and compete in the Olympia comes from the fact that that's where you get the most money. And, and I'll always revert back to what I originally said the prize money for the Mr. Olympia contest when it was built up to the point where it was in its heyday did not and could not have come from bodybuilding or bodybuilders. Shirts, it came from franchising gyms, it came from selling protein powder and vinyl and concrete weight sets in your Argos catalogue. And that's that's where that you know the, the business behind all of that fueled the Olympia. And until you get another business of that magnitude that can build up enough capital to get behind a, a tested bodybuilding show, you will never get anything else as big as the Olympia, in my opinion. Because I just don't think, you know, I, if I have firsthand flown 6,000 miles across the world to take a team of bodybuilders, to a world championship in LA and on the day that show happened a world champion from another bodybuilding association was on holiday 10 miles away and didn't want to come and watch that show if if a world championship in natural bodybuilding is surrounded with that much resent or politics or that much of a lack of interest that somebody who considers themselves a world-class bodybuilder wouldn't have got in a cab and come 10 miles to watch it, then we're, we're doing something wrong, aren't we? We're doing something yes. wrong. Because I got yeah. on a plane and flew 6,000 miles to be there out of my own pocket because I'd spent every penny that I'd generated that year on funding a team to go. I went because that was my idea of a holiday. Yeah, and that's yeah, why I've you, been the last two years as well. <laughs> but you, you know exactly the situation I'm talking about, don't you? I won't name names because I don't want it to come to that. But, but you know, if if one of the, if the show that's considered biggest, you know, tested natural drug-free bodybuilding contest in the world, can't drag somebody ten miles in a cab to watch it who might never ever ever have the chance again to do so. If it can't put that much of a fire in your belly, then then what will? What will do it? And 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 I, you know, I think a part of my earlier, much more controversial statement of the biggest problem with bodybuilding has always been bodybuilders might be a factor in that. Yeah, you're you're very right. You're very right. Um, let's change tap a little bit and yes. talk a bit about. Uh, what is what is natural bodybuilding and some of the critics of, of natural bodybuilding because um i mean o- online especially as, as my social media has grown and, and i've been in contact with more people there is um a, 
a rise in the, in the critics that are surrounding the sport. And when I've documented some of the show days and put stuff on my story, there's a lot of people responding and saying, well, well, it's not, they're not natural or they're not really natural or, or he's cheating or, or, or she's definitely cheating. And, and it's just a very difficult scenario to be in for a lot of people, especially when they are, you know, drug tested, truly natural athletes that are very good and very well genetically endowed or, or very hardworking to be able to feel like they can consistently prove it. So for you, what is what is natural body bodybuilding and why do you think that as a federation, as you can FBA, you know, what's the drug testing side of things like? And do you think that there's limitations potentially elsewhere within other federations that are, are causing more issues with the sport being truly natural? Okay, um, brilliant question. Firstly, I I accept that natural bodybuilding is a term that's used, but it's not one that I like to use because, again, you know, pushing your body physically to the point of overcompensation and pushing yourself into calorie surpluses and, you know, forcing yourself to abstain from a lot of social pleasures that people take for granted, to me, is not natural. Um, you know, it's, it's something where you've got to take yourself out of the human body has to, the human being has to take themselves out of a natural state, you know, an average natural state that people find normal, if that's such a thing, um, in order to participate in it. But certainly drug free bodybuilding or bodybuilding that's not, you know, that's achieved without the use of performance enhancing drugs, um, to me, you know, there there has to be a clear line of what does constitute a substance that is permissible and what isn't. Um, I mean, I, I nail my colours to the mast on this type of thing because I choose to affiliate with who I affiliate with. So I obviously agree with their banned substance procedures, starting from the banned list of what you can take, what you can't take. Um, there's got to be a solid testing process in place um as you know we we use your analysis testing we use lie detector testing as well we use both in vast amounts um it's almost a shame we have to do it because most people would be absolutely gobsmacked if they knew how much money we spent on it um and if we weren't spending the money on that we could be spending it on all number of other things like these big utopian prize money pots for example and you know they they they'd be pretty hefty if if we were saving the money that we were spending on the drug testing um so there has to be a viable drug testing program i'm quite open-minded with my my thoughts on drug testing there are some people that will say you can't call yourself a truly drug tested contest if you don't use the polygraph lie detector or whatever machinery you want to use um there are other people who will say, well, the polygraph's not really recognized anywhere in the world apart from basically the USA. Uh, it's a very American thing, isn't it? You know, the polygraph is like suing people. It's, it's a massive Americanism, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, I think it is a, a tool which is worthwhile, but it's not the only tool. You know, there are people out there that will say you can't talk, call yourself a drug tested event unless you're going and knocking on people's doors in the off season and asking them for random samples like they do in the IOC. And, and I'm good with that train of thought as well, because, yeah, yeah. you know, 
uh, there's no infallible form of drug testing. You know, there, there are ways you could get on the internet now, and I'm not encouraging people to do so who watch this podcast, but you could get on the internet right now and research a thousand and one ways to pass a polygraph test or to get stuff out of your system in time to pass a urine test. Why you'd want to do that is beyond me. You know, why you would want to pump drugs into your body and compete against people who you've got an unfair advantage against just to beat them, just to boost your ego and get a, a little trophy to put on your mantelpiece and tell people that you are something that you are not is completely beyond me. But then that would we understand that unless we had the mindset of the cheat? And if you, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty upfront, honest guy. Uh, I've probably been more upfront than I should have been at some points in this podcast. You've got a very sort of strong moral stance on on staying drug free and, and and competing in you know in in that you know very clear sort of area where you are who you are. So do do we understand why people cheat? You know, is it ego? Is it insecurity? Is it the genuinely held belief that they think everybody's doing it, so they might as well? Um, there are always going to be people who cheat, and there are always going to be people who get away with cheating. But as as a sanctioning body sort of president, I could probably speak for all of us, and there are many of us out there in the world, sanctioning body presidents, who say that as long as we are genuinely doing the best that we can, then we can do no more. We can do no more. Um, there might be one or two people out there that aren't doing enough. And, and I don't know who they are and I don't know a lot about what they're doing. So as much as an athlete can point a finger at another athlete and say, you're not clean, you're not playing by the rules or whatever, I've got no right to point at another sanctioning body and say that they're not doing whatever. And I, I've had that sort of stuff directed at me. You know, rumours spread, oh, don't go and compete in Lee's association. You know, he doesn't test, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. I'll show you the invoices I've been paying. And I'll show you the sleepless nights I've been having to try and make the money to pay the bloody things. It, you know, it's, it, it gets done, and that's that. Um, people also spread these rumours without knowing anything about my professional background as well. I can't go out there and defraud people. You know, that costs me my career, and that puts me in jail. So if people think I'm going to risk everything I've built in my life, my home, my car, my possessions, my reputation... You know, if they think I'm going to throw all of that away just for the sake of, you know, not drug testing somebody in a contest, which isn't my job, it isn't my profession, then they probably lead a very sad life and need to broaden their horizons a little bit. In terms of athletes, athletes accusing other athletes of being, you know, juiced or, you know, not playing by the rules are usually jealous. You know, yeah. If if I've got a way better physique than you, which I'm not proposing that I have, but if I've got a way better physique than you, I'm not going to start looking you up and down and accusing you of being on the source, am I? Because if I'm better than you and you're on the source, then I'm on the source as well. It's it's usually jealousy, you know. It's usually you know a little bit of guy. I know he must be taking gear. Yeah, yeah, along with the, you know, the many other reasons you could have gyno as an adult male. Um, oh, yeah, that guy had no muscle last year and this year has got loads of muscle, must be on the gear. How about 
didn't really train properly until a year ago and didn't eat properly till a year ago and just has had a massive response to what they're doing you, you know and I, if people are competing in tested shows passing tests putting themselves out there to be tested um to be you know to be judged on a level playing field with their peers then i don't really think anybody has the right to point the finger if i'm honest and it's sad that they do but i always i always tell people this and this is a really good perspective to put this in i i am lucky enough to to know somebody who you know a year and a half ago was the best pro lightweight bodybuilder in the world according to one sanctioned body you know i'm talking about ben ben howard he's the number he was the number one in the game according to that sanctioning body in that weight division at that time i also have met and i don't know them very well i've also met flex lewis uh, i've met sean clarida i've met kamal algani you know in comparative terms in the olympia and the, you know the 212 class which is the lighter of the two divisions they are the best bodybuilders in the world in in their side of the sport and you know i don't know what they're taking i don't know what they're doing they might not be taking anything who knows only they know they're just competing in that side of the sport and they're doing well where they choose to compete if you took the best athlete in the world in the non-tested side of the sport and put them next to the best athlete in the world in the tested side of the sport and you can make the same comparison you can take brandon curry and put him next to sam Watt or rich gosdecki um and i'm not being partisan to wmbf athletes when i say this i'm just talking about people that i know personally who i know won't be offended by me mentioning their names on a podcast i'm not going to start talking about people that i don't know and i haven't met because i don't want to get involved in any silly offline conversations about that but if if you put the very best wmbf pro heavyweight in the world next to mr olympia he'd look like a 12 year old boy yeah yeah. And then, and then people would say, "Oh, so maybe, maybe I could believe that they're natural now." You know, as a rule, if you put genuine, drug-free, proven, tested athletes on stage in a non-tested show, and I don't mean the best bodybuilder in in the natural world entering the local Mister Ham and Egg contest, I mean, you know, a world champion versus a world champion. I mean, a comparison, a direct comparison between the two sides. Then I don't think you'd have as many people saying, "Oh, actually, yeah. food for thought." I mean, you're not going to see it because I can't see anybody qualifying for the Olympia. You know, who's who's winning? You know, I mean, I'll say, you know, Ben won't be offended if I say it. Ben Ben Howard is not about to step on stage in the two twelve Olympia anytime soon. But but if yeah. he did, they they'd probably you know assume he's there for some other purpose than to compete quite frankly but the guy's got an incredible physique the guy's got an incredible physique he's freakishly strong he gets super shredded and and he works his he works he works himself into the ground to be like that so if somebody were to accuse them of you know not taking you know not taking things down the right path and being on the drugs or whatever you know it's it's sad it's sad that people can't see that you can get that good naturally. Sorry, without the use of drugs. I don't like the word natural, do I? No. I, I think the thing is, especially with people like Ben, 
it's a very in-your-face, shocking mm. demonstration of a physique. And when you see that or, you know, you see um, Chris Paling's glutes and you're like, yeah. and you're like, what the fuck is that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. That surely can't be natural. You know, it surely can't be drug-free. People question it because it's it's out of this world. It's not it's not normal. People think that the that, that natural look is attainable or a normal look or, you know, and, and those people are just basically they they. they they are the, the the slightly more clueless people because the people who are clued up, even like some of the assisted guys, like know they actually know the 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 sort of the the reasons why natural bodybuilders sometimes actually do have a little bit of a sharper look. They have that less subcutaneous fluid, and they can sometimes look a little even sharper than some assisted bodybuilders. Um, you know, they don't have scar tissue from jabbing themselves all over the place. And sometimes they, they do look better and sharper. Um, I think actually a nice sort of one of the things I did really want to cover. We said that we'd cap it an hour and I knew we wouldn't be able to. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I did really, really want to cover is um, you made a post. and You could if BA made a post about um, condition. Um, quite a while ago about sort of the whole the whole glute scenario and how natural bodybuilding um in recent years has become uh people people are thinking that it's become a glute contest and that the only goal as a natural athlete is to get a walnut arse ben is unfortunately a a guy who has a walnut arse but at the same time there's reasons why he can have that so if if we could sort of go into your opinions as to how condition condition has changed over the last sort of decade of, of bodybuilding and why you think maybe it's not a great thing. Okay. Um, firstly, yeah, Ben does have that worn arse um, and he can get that worn arse. Mm. And in 2018 in particular, he had to because there were set weight divisions at the Worlds and the lightweight division was about a kilo and a half lighter than he usually competes at. And I mean, I, I'll let the cat out of the bag quite happily because I've got absolutely nothing to lose by saying so. I, I helped coach Ben. I've helped coach him since he was 17 years old. I met Ben Howard in a gym before he'd ever stepped on stage in a bodybuilding contest. Somebody asked me to take a look at him to to see if I thought he had the potential to be a good bodybuilder. Um, and 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 I've been sort of his his wingman ever since. But at the same time, I've never judged a contest he's competed in. Um, I've never given my my professional opinion on his physique, and I've always taken that step back because I know that there are people that know my relationship with him and might think in in some way that I'm biased towards him, which I'm not. Um, ben gets in incredible condition. Uh, he's probably the epitome of a conditioned natural bodybuilder. Uh, he has... In my opinion, and I've had this conversation with him, done the exact same thing that Brian Whitaker did several years ago. Uh, Brian was uh, is a good friend of mine, and and I've, I've spoken at length with him about getting down to a certain weight for the sake of getting down to a certain weight and sacrificing five percent of his muscle mass just to gain another one percent in condition. Um, and 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 I believe that Brian could have looked better, heavier, and slightly not as dry. And, and I believe Ben's in the same boat. 
we took the gamble in 18 because it was his first time in the pro worlds and we wanted him to be at the top of a weight class instead of the bottom of a weight class. I'll take that gamble with him now, knowing what I knew then, knowing now, knowing then what I know now, should I say? No, I wouldn't. I'd have encouraged him to be heavier and fuller. And next time he competes, I'll do the same. He's still going to be in incredible condition, but he's going to probably be five pounds heavier, you know, and, a, and half a pound of that will be fat. So condition-wise, I don't think condition has changed. Um, I'll challenge anybody to look at, you know, MPC National Show. Here in 91, there was a guy called Renel Janvier in that show. Uh, probably more conditioned than anybody that bodybuilder that's ever walked the face of the earth. Andreas Munzer, he came up through the 80s and 90s. Condition's not a new thing. Frank Zane was inside out, hard as nails, shredded in in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, conditioning's not a new thing. Danny Padilla in the uh, 81 Olympia. You know, I've, I've looked at some pictures of that guy, uh, Danny Padilla in the 81 Olympia. That's condition, you know. Hard conditioning has always been around. Right. It just so happens that there are more people getting into that condition now than there were back then. Yeah. I think natural bodybuilders tend to strive for that level of conditioning because they feel they won't look impressive without it. You can take a 250-pound bodybuilder who's you know still 10% body fat and he'll look fantastic. You take the average 150-pound bodybuilder and put him into 10%, you know, roughly 10% body fat, and he's not going to look as lean as a 250-pound guy. So, you know, the, the drug-tested body, I keep saying natural, and it's all your fault. Um, you know, your, your average bodybuilder that competes in, you know, what we call the gold standard drug-tested shows, the natty shows, that they are feeling the need to get harder and harder and harder. But... I genuinely don't believe that they need to in a lot of cases. Um, I certainly think that judging panels need to really consider what they're rewarding um, because there are a number of times when I've seen better physiques beaten by inferior ones just because of the condition that they're in. Um, I genuinely believe that if you're in good enough condition, and by good enough condition, I mean no visible body fat, so no muffin tops, no man boobs, no you know no fat bits, no roll of fat under your belly button, you know no no actual visible pinchable body fat, hard and lean. I think you should be hard enough so that there should be clear separating lines in between your muscle groups so that each could be judged clearly. Um, once you're at that level of conditioning, so your physique can be seen and judged in its entirety, I think you're lean enough. And I don't think that being any harder than that should give you any reward over somebody who's got a better physique than you. Um, one of the biggest reasons, and again, I've got my promoter's head on here. I've got a coach's head on too. Uh, and again, I'm going to talk about Ben again. Um, he's a great reference point for me um, because he's one of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> He's one of the few high-level bodybuilders. I know a lot of high-level bodybuilders, but he's he's probably the one that I have the most face-to-face -face contact and, and sort of input with over the whole process. And people who look at pictures of his backside on Instagram and say, wow, he's shredded, 
and click that like button, you know, they're enjoying what they're seeing, but they don't see what he goes through for six months after that contest. You know, the the, the struggle to get himself back to a, a, a normal body composition and, you know, the sleep patterns and the the, 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 the fluctuations in, in appetite and mood and things like that. And, you know, he's, he, he's a settled down man. He's getting married soon. He's got two beautiful young children. He's got a wonderful partner, you know, and, and they have to go through a lot of sacrifice with him for him to be in that condition. Um, and, and I've seen a lot more guys doing it now. I've seen young guys, you know, and when I say young guys, I mean, juniors, 20, 21 year old lads who are competing in bodybuilding shows. And then, straight out saying i need to take three years off before i compete again now because it's going to take me a year to recover from what i've just put myself through and then two more years to build enough tissue to let me lose a little bit of it when i get back into the condition i've just come out of and let's go right back to the beginning of this podcast and it's probably going to be part one of 10 the way that we're talking um but you know where's the fun in that Where's the fun in that? When did this stop being a hobby where you, you go to the gym, you train with some weights, you know, you, you take your nutrition a little bit more seriously, you get some great results out of your training. Somebody says to you one day, you know what, you look pretty good. Why don't you compete in this show that a couple of us from the gym are doing? You go, you're hooked. You want to do it again and again. The very, very few genetically select people and caveat to this, or a little sideline to this. If anybody thinks that genetics aren't important, they're a lunatic. Um, but we'll talk about that another day. But the very few genetically select people, you know, can go a long way. But the vast majority of people that were competing in bodybuilding back when I first started were regular people with regular jobs, regular lives, regular families who did it for a hobby. They had fun with it. You know, people used to compete every year because you could get yourself to the point where you were lean enough to compete. And then after you competed in your contest or your couple of contests, whatever you're doing, you'd have a little bit of a rebound from those shows and you'd gain a bit of tissue straight off the bat, wouldn't you? Um, uh, It's like doing a mini cut to progress forwards a little bit now, as we say, you know, and you always get that little bit of a rebound from doing that mini cut. And there were people I knew that used to compete every year because that little period of time after their contest was the only time of the year they grew. So, I, you know, I'd know guys who competed in September because it was a good springboard for them to gain some tissue over the winter. And then they'd diet down for the summer, compete in September again and grow again in, 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 in the winter. Um, and now people are getting so dry, so hard, um, dieting for inordinate amounts of time, being ready for shows 10 weeks before the show. Um, again, you know, I saw pictures of you when you were competing last in 17. And I saw a picture of you. I've probably never discussed this with you personally, face to face. But I saw a picture of you where you looked pretty much ready to go. And somebody who's got a, a relatively high profile in this sport and, a, a, you know, a respected status in the sport their exact words, well, their words were to the effect of, you've still got a lot of fat to lose. No, you fucking didn't. No, you didn't. They were blind. Whoever said that is just being daft. No, you did not have a lot of fat to lose. But it pushed you to the point where you probably lost a little bit too much, gave up a little bit of tissue on the way. 
you know, and and and, and we'll sort of blend it in a little bit with the the whole coronavirus thing that's going on. I know that is a um, uh, a big thing on people's minds at the minute. Um, I know that people are very worried about shows later in the season. I know they're worried about not being able to get into gyms at the minute and train. I know some people are lucky enough to have facilities to train at home. You've got some stuff at home, haven't you? You know, I know Ben's got access to some home gym equipment. He's planning to compete this year, probably still. Um, you know, if and like I said on Facebook and Instagram the other day, you know, if, if gyms open again on the 1st of June, you've got 20 weeks to get ready for the UK Championships. If you can't get lean enough to compete in a bodybuilding contest in 20 weeks, then you probably should be calling yourself a bodybuilder in the first place. I can't get lean enough to compete in 20 weeks. I'm not the one calling myself a bodybuilder on the internet. Um, there's plenty of time. You've just got to get it into your heads that you don't need to diet away every last layer of skin to be in acceptable shape to get on a bodybuilding stage, an amateur bodybuilding stage. Um, it's not life and death. It's not your living. It's not your job. And, and our judging panels will certainly be looking at people this year deeper and, you know, sometimes picking the guy with the hardest glutes is the easy option. You know, we handpick judges that know what they're looking for. That's why people come to our contests and place in an order they weren't expected to place in because they've been competing against each other elsewhere and it's always been the same. They come to our shows, they place in a different order because we're looking at different things. You know, we're picking apart physiques. We're looking at strong and weak body parts. We're rewarding the athlete with the most strength to their physique, not the one with the most weak, uh, the least weaknesses. Two very different things. Again, we'll do the judging seminar another day. But um, there's plenty of time to get ready for shows in in October. Um, don't worry about what's going on at the minute. Maybe this will be the the revolution that. May, means that people aren't going to diet themselves half to death. Who wants to run their immune system in the ground, into the ground? What's going on in the world at the minute, anyway? Um, so no, I don't think it's a good goal to chase. Condition for condition's sake is not the thing that we should be doing. The sport's called bodybuilding. It's about health. It should be fun. Nobody should be putting themselves in a position where it takes them a year before their body's back to normal after they've competed in a bodybuilding contest. Awesome. Great. I think that's a, a good note to finish on um, for this episode. <laughs> I think we'll definitely come back from more. I've, I've, I think I've covered uh, three of my ten. ten of <laughs> I told uh, you it'd be a three-parter. So, um, guys, we'll, we'll definitely be back for more in the future with Lee and we'll, we'll get another recording on the go. But um, I think you know, I wanted to cover the coronavirus stuff as well with the shows. I think people... I wanted to put something out there about that in your opinion. So I think you covered that really well. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, your end, you're doing as much as you can. And I'm assuming you're still getting messages about, oh, you know, what's going to happen? Is it going to go ahead? And, you know, you don't know any more than anyone else, unfortunately, do you? It's just a case of waiting and seeing, isn't it? I think I think we've done a pretty good job. I mean, social media is a necessary evil for us. And I think I've done a pretty good job of making everybody know that my feelings on the matter are that staying healthy is the important thing for now. Um, a lot of our stuff that we've been publishing is about public health advice and, you know, keeping people healthy and 
following the guidelines, doing what's been asked of us so we can get back to normal a lot quicker. Yes, we do intend for the shows to go ahead. Um, realistically, using my logical brain, I can't see a situation where the whole country could stay locked down forever. Uh, the world has to turn. And, you know, you're talking to a guy that has been madly in love with the sport of bodybuilding for over three quarters of his life. It's my 25th year as a promoter. It's the 10th year of the UK DFBA. If I have to peel my eyeballs and dip them in salt to find a way to put that UK championships on this year, I will do it. If I have to do it without an audience, I'll do it. If I have to do it and write people IOUs because I can't afford trophies, I will do it. Um, if there is a physical way possible, uh, you know, I'll even wind the clock back to 2016 and gamble my house on it. You know, and not a word of what, not a word of what I've said in this podcast is a lie. You know, I, I, I came home and I told my wife, I want to run this show, but it's going to take every penny of equity out of our house. If, if it goes wrong, are you okay with me doing that? You know, and she'll tell me this year, the same as she told me that year, no, I'm not okay with that happening. So you better make it a success. Um, we we are going to have our tenth anniversary, well, our tenth anniversary, because obviously that's next year. You don't have your first anniversary till the second year, do you? But um, we will have our our tenth year show. Um, I will celebrate my 25th year as a promoter, um, and. You know, unless we've literally got a metaphorical gun held to our heads to tell us we can't do it, it's happening. And by fair means or foul, one way or the other, we're going to get on that plane. We're going to go to L.A. and we're going to laugh about it on Venice Beach the day after the show and say we knew it would work out in the end because we're going to do it because this is our passion. This is what drives us. This is what we do. So we'll find a way. Love it, love it, mate. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for now, we will leave this here. Um, thanks again for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll make sure we'll be back for another one. I'm sure we'll get some good feedback on this and then we'll cover any particular topics that I feel we've missed or listeners want to know about. Um, yeah. Yeah, anything that listeners want to go over, if they want to challenge something I've said in this podcast and offer a different point of view, I'm happy. I'm open-minded. I'm, I'm all for discussion. Anything else you want to bring up, anything else anybody else wants to ask, I'm, I'm an open book with 25 years of, uh, of nonsense in my head to regurgitate at some point if anybody wants me to. So really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I had a great time, and I'll look forward to doing it again. Fantastic. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and, uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. Cheers.